2 Kings 6, 8 through 17. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, Behold, he is in Dotham. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So much for reading, Gwen. Also, if like the rain really comes down, I know what to do. I'll just preach longer because nobody wants to get out in it. I've already arranged it with the nursery workers. They're cool with that. So we'll, we'll just hang in here for a while if it really comes down. Uh, when I was a kid, we learned some things that really help, help you remember important things in critical moments. And a lot of times, they come in threes. So I remember uh, some fire safety techniques in which you were told to stop, drop, and roll. Some of you remember this instruction. I, I remember... And I don't know, like, I didn't live a place where there was a lot of, um, like, a lot of railroads, but I do remember when you come to a railroad crossing, you stop, you look, and you listen. Even this week, I was in a pretty metropolitan area, and there were these signs literally everywhere, reminding me to hide my things, to lock my car, and make sure I take my keys. If I saw one of these signs, I saw dozens of these signs all over the place. It seems like it's hard to remember a hundred things, but it's not as hard to remember three things. It's not as hard to remember a few things, to really store those in so that when things are difficult, when things are critical, we know maybe a, a way to respond. And over the course of the next three weeks, what I would love to do is to put something in your heart, something in your memory, something in our hearts that may serve us down the road, may serve us immediately, but it may serve you down the road. I, I want us to give, get really three big questions that we can ask at some key moments in our lives. Because I think life will get tough at times. You may be there already. There are times when you will need some questions like these. There are times where you will feel lonely or where you will be betrayed or where you will feel stuck 
or confused or frustrated. There will be times when you had your plans that it would go a certain way, and then it didn't. There will be times where some fear or anxiety or maybe even depression will be triggered inside of you. And what will you do when those times come? You, you might walk through what one writer said, dangers, toils, and snares. What, what will you do? How do you respond to those kinds of things? In my own strength, I just sometimes feel lost. I feel at a loss for knowing how to process them, what to do with them, how to work through them. And you might come to those places where you don't even necessarily know what to think, and maybe your first thought is not the Lord or anything about Him. Maybe you go into problem-solve mode, but whatever, whatever your kind of initial response is, I want, I want to give us some questions that could serve us well in that situation. So here's the roadmap for today. What I'd like to do is I'd like to lead with one of those questions that I think is crucial for us to ask. Then I want to go back to the story in the Old Testament that Gwen read just a moment ago and see how that so illustrates the question and, and points us to some very, very helpful answers. And then I want to press into the truth of God's word just a little deeper so that it really is impressed on our hearts so that we don't forget this. So here's the big question for today. Sometimes we're going to have to stop and ask ourselves, where is God in this? Where is God in this? You might have multiple times in your life, maybe even just this week, maybe even today, where you are going to have a scenario face you and and it may be confusing or hard or complicated. And the question you're going to need to ask is, where is God in this? Let's go to the story that was read earlier. We, we just kind of dropped into 2 Kings 6, so I want to give you a little bit of context for the story. Although what's interesting about this particular story is it has a lot of general references, almost vague references. The kings aren't named in this story. It's just the king of Israel, the king of Syria, or some translations say the king of Aram. It, it, it'll say something like it's such and such a place. It'll say one or two times. So it's, a, it's kind of a general vague story, which is exactly the way the author wanted it to be recorded. But this was a time of tribal wars. And when, when tribes are warring, what often becomes contested ground is the geography in between. And so particularly on the edges of kingdoms and nations and empires, that, that area can be tough. So Syria is in war against Israel. And every time the king of Syria made a plan, so he met with his national security council, and every time he made a war plan, like we're going to really pin the enemy down here, pin Israel down, they would get to that place and Israel would not be there. They would have just left. This became infuriating. That's the the story that we read. And the king's wondering what's going on. His conclusion is a natural conclusion. It would be my conclusion as well. There's got to be a traitor here. There's got to be a mole. Someone's embedded here that is giving out the, the, the secrets here, the military secrets, and telling the other nation our battle plans, what's going on. But then one of his servants says, no, no, that's not what's going on. Actually, there's a prophet. There's a person, a prophet, a person that hears from God and speaks to God on his behalf, speaks to nations, speaks to people. There's a prophet in Israel and Frankly, I think he can hear what's going on in your bedroom. He hears all these plans and he goes and tells the king of Israel. Well, the king of Syria now has a plan. We deal with the prophet and all this stuff will stop. We go capture, we go surround the prophet, we seize him and and the problem's over. So that's exactly what he does. He sends his army 
to the city where the prophet, and we're told later the prophet's name is Elisha, sends in, in the army, we read, right? The horses, the chariots surround the city. So, the next day, Elisha's servant goes outside in the morning. The armies come in at night. Elisha's servant goes out in the morning. Is he getting the paper, walking the dog, exercising? I don't know why he's out there. The scripture doesn't say. But he goes outside. When he goes outside, he sees that this whole city is surrounded. And that gives him great fear. The story isn't the easiest to relate to. Some of these in the Old Testament, there's not an immediate one-for-one correspondence with, oh yeah, I remember when that happened. So some of this is a little bit difficult. But then there's actually some elements that actually aren't that hard for us to relate to as well. We felt similar things. We, we may not have had an enemy force literally surround us, but there's times where we have definitely been caught off guard. Some things that did not match our expectations. Some things that were difficult for us to deal with. We, we might have had a, a sleepless night. We might have had a, a commute that was more than a little stressful because we are thinking about what's going on and Frankly, we don't see a good resolve to the end of the story and we become more and more concerned, more and more worried. I think we can relate to maybe some of the panic and the distress that this servant felt. I I wonder if we bring, surely, surely some of us bring into this room some uncertainties about the future. Surely in a crowd this size, there are decisions that you will not be able to avoid making. You're going to have to make them. And yet right now, even the thinking about them is very, very complicated. It's very difficult decisions. Maybe there are those that are very dissatisfied with your life. Dissatisfied with maybe even the choices you would confess you've made. And you look and you see them and say, this is not going the way I want. Maybe you realize you aren't perfect. You have failed Yourself and you failed people in a million ways. Maybe there's a significant stressor that's pushed on you. Maybe conflict. And it's beyond what you can accomplish, beyond what you can do to like make this all go away. Maybe there is an insecurity that lingers where you feel like you're not sure you have enough to meet the challenge and you're not sure you are enough. And it begins to press. At the very least, I'd imagine there are things in life that make us very unsettled and uneasy, if not really scared. I don't think anybody's immune from that. So we can't identify with this prophet that has a morning surprise, or this this servant of the prophet that had a morning surprise. So he goes back in, and Elisha tells him this in verse 16. Verse 16, he says, do not be afraid. Elisha is speaking here. Because those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Elisha speaks a word of truth first in this whole situation. It reminds me a lot of a verse in 1 John that says, greater is he that is in us than the one that's in the world. This is, sounds very, very, very similar to that. So, Elisha speaks a word of truth. We have more with us than with them. We're going to be okay. But I'm not sure that helped the assistant completely. 
Maybe he says, okay, but I don't see it. I don't see it. So Elisha prayed for a prayer for him to see. Lord, open his eyes. That's what verse 17 says. Then Elisha prayed and said, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes and and there's a spiritual insight that he gets, right? Opens his eyes of the young man and and he saw and behold, the, the mountain was full of horses and chariots, a fire all around Elisha. What does he see? He sees chariots and horses and fire. Anytime in, in this portion of scripture that you see that sort of thing, what, what you know he's seeing is the angelic army, the, the host of the Lord. The, the angels that are at the bidding of God Almighty himself. He's seeing this all surrounding his master, Elisha. So he asked the servant, where is God in this? wonder what his answer would be. As you consider, as you consider this story, I wonder what you do with it. This is, these kinds of stories come up pretty regularly in the Old Testament. But they're not every single story we read, we read in the Bible. Maybe a fair place to start of like, well, what do I do with it? Maybe one place to start is to recognize that we can't and shouldn't expect to see angelic armies all the time. So I've lived in Delaware 12 years. Not one time after I come out of a Wawa have I noticed like, my goodness, there, there's an angelic army surrounding this place. I love where I live. I love the development, but not one time have I seen like the angelic hosts surrounding my development. I get here early on Sunday mornings and not one time have I, like, there are like three million angels here today. Glad they're here. Glad they're present. I see them. It hasn't happened like that. And frankly, you may go, well, yeah, because I don't believe in this kind of stuff. You may be skeptical. You may not buy into much, if any, of what the Bible teaches. Maybe you read stories like this, and, and I'm glad you're here. I'm, I'm glad you're gathering with us today at church, even if you have questions. Maybe you look at this and go, I, I kind of think this is nonsense and fairy tales. I don't, I don't know that I believe this. I, I, would, I would ask you to consider something, though. Our culture seems to privilege, like, everything we can see and touch. Our culture says, like, if we can't observe it and repeat it, then it, it's not that real. And I would just say, our culture, thinking that way, having no real category for invisible things that are very, very real, miraculous things that break patterns of nature, our culture is kind of rare in the course of time and really in the course of everybody else on the planet. Because you, you look at most people, they will come to the conclusion there are things beyond what these eyes can see and what we can put in a, a laboratory and discern through science or testing. There are things that are different than that. Truly, if there is, if there is a God who rules over everything, the visible and the invisible, and truly is, if he's not just some impersonal force, stories like this aren't impossible, even if they aren't the norm. Stories like this aren't impossible, even if not the norm. So, so we can, we can recognize, like, we, we're not going to see angelic armies all the time, but we also have to realize that this story shouldn't be a, oh yeah, whenever I get jammed up, that 
I, I know God will get me out of my jam immediately. And there will be no problem and I'll just move on. I say that because there's another story where Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, before he goes to the cross, tells his disciples, I could call legions of angels that could protect me. But not my will, but God's will be done. So it isn't as if, oh yeah, all the angels or guardian angels or however you like to think of them, all of them are going to keep me out of any sort of problems. I'm never going to get into any sort of bind because God's protected. We, we know that's, we know God's not going to just get us out every single time. Sometimes, actually, we have the promise, like the servant heard in verse 16, the ones who are with us are greater than those who are with them, even if we don't have the vision of verse 17. Even if spiritually, like we can't see God's presence or the angels all around us, in that moment, we're still called to trust. And even with all that, I think this story highlights something. It's that too often, too often I can be so much like this servant. I'll ask, what are we going to do? What's going to happen now? I'm scared. I'm nervous. I'm reaching the limits of what I can do. I hear what you're saying, Lord, but I know the logic in my head and it's pretty loud and it's saying, this is not going to go well. This is not going to go well. So we go back to the question, where, where is God in this? Are we asking that question? And this story can teach us when we ask that question, one answer we can make sure we get is that God is present. God is present. We are surrounded. God is our refuge. And he's, he's our refuge not from a distance, but up close. God is our refuge. God is infusing us with his strength so that we won't doubt. He's giving us a heart to trust so that we won't be so overwhelmed and just filled with anxiety. God is present defending those who are his. I love what Psalm 125 says, as the mountains, picture this here, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. How long will he do that? He will do that from this time forevermore. The Lord will surround his people. So my anxiety or my nerves ramp up, the frustration mounts. And, and I say, where is God in this? And I have an answer. He is present. He is present. One way the Bible talks about this concept of God being present is by saying with individual characters in the Bible, the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. So the Bible says this about David. The Lord was with David. Says it about Abraham. The Lord was with him. Says it about Joseph. The Lord was with him. All these times, it's helpful. It's helpful to know God isn't against us. He is with us and he is for us. And the fact that God is present See, here's what I'm nervous about. I'm nervous that you may think, well, of course he is. Of course he's present. And you might not appreciate what it means that God is present with us. You might not appreciate the fact that all of us are sinners. We're rebels. We're sinners by nature. We're sinners by choice. We've actually told God, we don't need your help. We'll do it on our own. We say that countless times. We do that in our own ways. You have your way of doing it. I have my way of doing it. We've broken a relationship with God. We've distanced ourselves from him. We've alienated ourselves from him. We've said, we don't want to be with you. And we've said it in a thousand ways in our lives. 
But then God in his mercy and in his love initiates a restoring relationship with us. He reconnects to us. He established that. He loves us and moves toward us to reconcile the relationship. We can't just say, well, of course he's with us. No, that would be taking it way too lightly. No, yet God came near. God drew near to us in his love, in his mercy. You may even deal with guilt wondering, would God ever want to be close to a person like me after what I've done? And yet here's scripture to say, when you are asking like, where is God in this? God is giving you a profound answer. I'm present. I don't leave you. I will not forsake you. In this story, God is showing the assistant in just a very tangible way. And we're not guaranteed these tangible ways, but Elisha's assistant got that in a very tangible way. I am with you. I love what one writer said. This is not some impersonal power. But when it says the Lord is with him, when the Lord showed him his presence, this is someone with a character, a personality, a will, an ability to communicate. And when we know God is with us, it does something for us. It can. It can give us courage. It can give us peace. It can give us contentment. It can make us holy. When we know God is with us. What struck me in reading this story and other thinking about, okay, the Lord was with David and Joseph and Abraham, I thought, all of those are even characters from the Old Testament before Jesus even came. What does it mean for us living this side of the cross after Jesus came? Remember, one of the names of Jesus was Emmanuel, which means God with us in the flesh. It means we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weakness, but he was tempted. He walked in our shoes. He knows what it's like to feel tempted. He knows what it's like to feel weary. He knows what it feels like to have his heart broken. He knows this. He has tasted this. And if God was with all of those Old Testament characters, what must it mean for us who now even have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, reminding us of the presence of God with us? What we know living this side of cross and resurrection, we say, where is God in this? God is with us. So when you get stuck, when you don't know exactly how to process everything, you can ask that question when you're dealing with immediate tragedy or maybe when the pain is actually not so sharp but dull and now you're a year or two or five or ten and you walk into a place and it floods you with memories of pain and difficulty and you go, Lord, where are you? Where are you? Be reminded in that moment that even when you cannot see him, he is present with you. God is present. There's there's more to process in the story. Because this story should not only be teaching us that he is present, but also that God is powerful. And I know that isn't a direct answer like, where is God? He's powerful. But whenever you talk about the presence of God, it's like you have to talk about it, that he's powerful. I, I don't know that you can leave that off. Because wherever God shows up, he shows up in power and in strength. So we're, we're even beyond location. God is present. Okay, he's with us. But he's also powerful. So what Elisha's servant sees is not just a collection, a gathering of people with hands in their pockets, but he actually sees an army. He sees God ready ready to fight, ready to go to battle. Nothing formed against Elisha would prosper that day. If God was for Elisha, well then who could be against him? 
Maybe Elisha could say what Psalm 3, 6 says, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. We've got to bring this to mind. God is not only present, but he's powerful. We've got to bring truths like Psalm 115.3 that says, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. That's who's present with us. We have to bring promises like Romans 8.28 to mind. Our God is the one who is so powerful, he can work all things for good for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. Our God is so powerful that what Psalm 84.11 says is no good thing will he keep back from those who are walking uprightly. He's a good father. He has a 100% success rate of knowing what's best for you, what's wise for you, what's good for you. He, he will work his plan out in your life. Nothing can stop him is what Isaiah 14 says. Nothing can hold back his hand. He is present and he is powerful. So that means, that means he can change things. Things that you cannot change, he can change. He can change you even when you think, I'll never change. He can change you from the inside out. He can work on you. He can work in you. He can rearrange things. He can restore things. He can reconcile things. He can restart things. He's not limited. You have a million things that limit you. I have a million things that limit me. He's not limited by any of those things. This is good news. He's present and he's powerful. So consider his track record. I know probably many of you are familiar with stories of the Bible, but do you see all over scripture where he is present and powerful? Do you see where the Lord was with Abraham? And not only was he present with Abraham, but he was powerful. So much so that there's a miraculous birth. Isaac comes and God is guiding him and providing for him all throughout his life. Scripture says again and again in Genesis that the Lord was with Joseph. Even in prison, the Lord is with him. So much so that the powerful presence of the Lord is seen in what Joseph could say. You meant this for evil to his brothers. You meant to ruin my life to end my life. But God, in his power, has worked all this out for good. Do we remember the story of Moses, how the Lord was present with him, even speaking in a burning bush, reminding him regularly, I am with you. And then powerfully showing up as the Red Sea was parted, food was brought in the wilderness. Do we remember David with all of his successes and even his failures, that the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him working through him. Do we remember the story of the three Hebrew children thrown into the fire for their faith? And when the king looks, he says, I don't just see three. I threw three in. I see four. The fourth looks like the son of God, present with the three Hebrew children, powerful enough that they walk out without any sort of smoke on, on them at all. No trace of that. Where is God in this? I think of, of scripture, but I also think of stories that I've come across even, say, in the last week or two. So reading uh, the story of Cory Ten Boom, whose family hid the Jews during World, World War II to protect them from the Nazis. And hearing her testimony of the Lord being powerfully present with her family. Or reading the story of Johnny Erickson Tata, a quadriplegic who even in all of her disabilities would say, in the pain and in the grief, the Lord never left me and the Lord worked powerfully in me. 
or even this week listening to an interview with uh, Andrew Brunson, a pastor who had been put into prison for his faith. And in a, a Turkish jail cell just months ago, said, I knew that the Lord was present with me. I knew that the Lord was powerfully at work. God was there. God was powerful. You see, we see dimly now. We don't see it all. But we have to know, even when we don't see it, that God is present and powerful. Look to Jesus, his, his son, our Savior. Remember, Jesus would calm the storm. Present with his disciples, calming the storm. Do you remember the one instance where he walked on the water literally to confirm his presence? I am here. I am with you. He not only could calm storms, but he could calm disciples who were in those storms. I think of all the parents that brought their kids to Jesus, saying, we've, we've gone everywhere. Can you help? And in that moment, Jesus doesn't withdraw. He moves toward those people. And powerfully, again and again, he, he shows his strength. He shows his might, giving us a taste of what it's like when God works. I think Jesus at the grave of his friend Lazarus. Jesus comes to that grave. He is present. And he's powerful enough to say, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And then he raises Lazarus from the dead. This is the God who says, when you walk through the fire in Isaiah 41, I will be with you. You're not alone. When you walk through the flood, it's not going to sweep over you. I am with you. You don't have to be afraid. I'm holding your right hand. Jesus commissions his disciples. In Matthew 28, and it's so interesting, the commission, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he's delegating that to his disciples. He says, you go and make disciples and don't forget this. I am with you always and everywhere. He is present and he's powerful. But I, church, I think the greatest display of his power and his presence has to be resurrection day. It has to be the day when Jesus showed he had power over death and over sin and over hell, over the grave, over all, all the enemies that ever could be against him. But the stories of resurrection, yeah, they're powerful, but they're, they're so interesting to me because they, they show us something about Jesus. When he is risen from the dead, he doesn't just put a fireworks show on. He actually goes to people. He goes to women. He goes to men. And he appears to them personally. He talks to them personally so that they will know, I am present. I am here. I'm powerful. Even a week later, Thomas says, I didn't see him. I didn't see him. And Thomas gets a revelation of Jesus present in his midst. And Thomas said what I think all of us would say, my Lord and my God. Do you know this? Do you know that he's present? So I don't think I'm going out on a limb to say, I think there will be times where I will deal with these kinds of questions. I think this week I had to think through and live out what I'm teaching this morning because there were times where my gut reflex was to start problem solving or panicking. That was the response. Then I have to ask, okay, I'm preaching on this on Sunday, so I should put this into practice. Where is God in this? And in the midst of that, I can know he is here. He is with me. He's not off running some other planet and attending to that business. He is present with me. And he is so powerful. He will accomplish his will. I don't have to be afraid. So, so church, let these questions drive you to the truth. Learn to ask this question humbly and confidently. Where is God in this? And then take inventory.
take inventory. Okay, here, I see him here. I know he, he's not going to leave me. I see him at work. And even if I don't see him, I'm going to trust that he's there. Let's learn to ask this question. Where is God in this? Can we ask God's help to do that? Let's pray. Oh Lord, we do need your help to reset. We need to relearn some habits because our habits might be ones of fear and worry. Concern, anxiety. We might function as if we, you're not even there. You don't even exist. So help us, Lord. Teach us new ways. Teach us to think differently. Teach us to ask new questions. Show your power and remind us of your presence. And may this morning be just something to arm and guard our souls that we could take up the shield of faith when we need it. I pray that even this story would remind us that there are angelic armies at your disposal. You will take care of your people. So give us confidence in that. Give us humility in that. We ask all this for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen.